You're listening to WorkWire, sponsored by Career Club and Sherm. Career Club has a range of services aimed at job seekers with an empathetic approach. Whether you are a job seeker yourself, know someone who is in job search, or an HR professional looking to bring a more empathetic approach to transitioning employees, check out career.club. If you are an HR professional seeking to enhance your skills, subscribe to Sherm and explore their extensive resources. Visit Sherm.org. That's SHRM.org. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Goodwin, president of Career Club, joined by my good friend, Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., president and CEO of Sherm. Johnny, how are you today? I'm doing very well. So good to see you. It's great to see you, and I'm so excited to do another episode of The Work Wire with you. Yeah? That's really good to be here with you, seriously, and cutting, taking it right out of the headline news. Let's talk about it. Well, that's what we're doing today. So today's topic is going to be around age. Um, As of the the timing of our recording this, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein just passed away yesterday, so may she rest in peace at age 90. Um, And then we're, we're going to just talk about, you know, is there ever, is they're too old? Like, like when, when does age really start being a legitimate factor? So I just want to set a little bit more context. Please. And then we'll, we'll take it away. So clearly in the news these days, President Biden, there's you know, a lot about is he too old within his party and outside of his party. Uh, Wall Street Journal poll says that 73% of Americans say President Biden's too old to run again. Ironically, only 47% say the same thing about Trump, and I think he's only three years younger. So, you know, maybe maybe not a lot of consistency on that one. Recently, we've seen uh, Senator Mitch McConnell from Kentucky have these freeze-up moments, and it's awkward. But the poor man is standing there in front of a podium with the press and a microphone, and something's happening there. And as we mentioned, you know, again, you know, may she rest in peace. Senator Feinstein was 90 years old had been coming back from shingles and had a number of episodes where she didn't remember being gone and that she hadn't been participating in votes for several months. That's right. Um, but the one that kind of kicked this off really quickly is there was a 96 year old judge who's being told to step down. So a federal court that oversees appeals in patent cases suspended a 96 year old judge amid concerns about her mental competence a rare instance which the court has moved to sideline one of its life-tenured members for health reasons. So uh, Pauline Newman is a judge, former research scientist and patent attorney, who served on the specialized court for almost all of the history of this particular uh, appeals court. It was established in 1982. She served since 1984, being appointed by President Reagan. But just kind of cut to it, The order listed a series of concerns that Newman's dealing with cognitive and physical impairment, saying staff reported repeated incidents of significant mental deterioration, including memory loss, confusion, lack of comprehension, paranoia, anger, hostility, severe agitation. And so they are parking her for a year and and doing it with much regret because she's actually quite beloved within her office. So the topic is, Johnny, is do we age out of our jobs? Hey, that's, um, you know, I think the real issue here, because I've had a lot of time, everyone knows I'm a former labor and employment lawyer, right? I guess I'm technically one. I still have my license to do it. I just don't practice it every day. And, you know, let's start with, and this may shock you, Bob, but it's against the law for us to decide based purely on age if a person is competent to do their job or not. 
I mean, there is a law, the Americans Disability, not ADA, I'm sorry, the ADEA, AIDS Discrimination and Employment Act, essentially says you're protected once you're over 40 from discrimination based purely on age. For as many of the ones that you've pointed out, our speaker, uh, Diane Feinstein, go through the list. There's a woman they call Hurricane Hazel. She's 101 years old and is an airport director in Canada. Cognitively there, physically there, goes to work every day and performs her job just fine. Uh, We don't talk about Charlie Munger, Um, Mm. you know, Warren Buffett. These are people who well into their 90s, right? And they are performing their jobs phenomenally well. So I think we have to take a far more nuanced and frankly legal world. (laughs) Well, there is that. Right? That says, let's not make assumptions about an 80-year-old. There are some 60-year-olds who have cognitive decline and therefore should not be in their roles. There's some 40-year-olds I know uh, who can't be effective at their job because they're physically or mentally unable to perform the job, assuming the job requires some physical um, competency. So, so that's, that's the, the struggle is I think we're having the wrong conversation, making huge generalizations about groups of people who hit an arbitrary number is kind of 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. It's we're past that. We know that people will be living longer. There's this stat that I've shared with you a number of times, which says the fastest growing segment of the U.S. workforce, fastest growing as a percent basis, are people 75 and older. So, you know, we can't just make these assumptions. Back in the day, they had all sorts of mandatory requirements at this age to be a pilot or at this age to be a that. Those days are gone. And I think for good reason, because we clearly have examples of people who are performing really well in their 80s and with people who are not doing so well in their 60s. So let's just agree. And I think all of our listeners have to say, let's not fall into the trap of saying, hmm, old people pick old, 80, 70, pick a number, shouldn't be able to maintain their jobs. I want to pick back up on your statistic about you know 75 year olds being the fastest growing it's it's really interesting i went on to uh the census website mm-hmm. and the u.s population age 65 and over grew nearly five times faster than the total population over the past hundred years from 1920 to 2020 and uh it went from <laughs> 50 it's now 55.8 million 16.8 percent of the population that's up over a thousand percent right right so and and this is really interesting this is from bain Mm -hmm. says that there will be 150 million jobs will shift to workers over the age of 55 in just seven more years six at most right by 2030 um that the the older and experienced workers will make up more than a quarter of the workforce by 2031 that's That's incredible it is incredible. And, you know, the older you get, the bigger of a smile it puts on my face. Because <laughs> I mean, work gives you dignity and purpose in life. And you can decide how hard you want to work or how intensely you want to work. But work in and of itself, we know, gives people dignity. I actually read a very interesting article. I hadn't thought about this until you triggered it. It was um, an article that talked about the fact that we are going to see an increase in centenarians, people who mm-hmm. will live to 100 years Oh, increasing sort of an explosion of people who will live to 100 and that 
the concern is that a lot of those people, if not allowed to continue to work, will suffer from significant mental illness and wellness problems because they're going to become isolated, lonely, depressed. Think about it. All of the, most of their friends have died. Most of the things that they know and grew up to know don't exist anymore, literally won't exist. And so they're in this world, but they're kind of trapped. They're alone. So we've got to do more than just like to talk about age discrimination. We've got to allow people who have the cognitive ability to do the roles and the physical ability to do those roles, keeping them meaningfully employed is good for our economy and it's good for them because yeah. people are going to live yeah. longer. And hopefully, yeah. hopefully I have that problem at night. Right? <laughs> that is a good problem. But, you know, we talk about, you know, diversifying talent pipelines and the importance of, you know, in, including older workers. There's the societal good that you just spoke of. Yeah. There's the financial reality of, you know, working till this arbitrary age of 65, somebody put a stake out in the ground, just said, well, that's the number. Okay, I guess it is. But but if we're living not till just age 75 or 85, but 95, 105, whatever we saved up till age 65 no just way. isn't going to last. <laughs> then there's that, that part, right? It, it just, it won't last. And, and that's right. So practically, it won't last for the individual. It also will put huge strains on our social service systems if you have people. So if, if I am not working, therefore not earning a living, then the government has to provide those services. And you know, people say the 65 year old number, I want to go back to you saying 65 is kind of random. Actually, it wasn't that random. When that number was set, mm. the actuary said, the average person will like live to 63. Right. The system yeah. actually contemplated people paying in for 30, 40 years and then dying before they collected. It literally was designed that way. And so in many ways, it wasn't arbitrary. They knew exactly what they were doing. And the question is, what are we going to move it to? Now, that's a whole big issue. Well, don't run for office, Johnny, on that one. That I do think there's something to be said. And even if you didn't do it, I would, you know, if I were to throw something out there and say, let's move it to 70, 75, pick a number, move it. But you don't have to impact people who are in, you could say, starting with people who are today 30. Like yeah. you don't have to do it to impact. It would be grossly unfair to take people who have planned their lives, financial and otherwise, based upon the idea that they can retire at 65, 67, pick a number and start changing the game on them. I'm not advocating for that. But we now know and there's data that says the person who's going to live to be 150 years old has probably already been born. And so you can't allow such a person to retire at 65. It just is not going to work. Right. So so let's talk about you mentioned the word nuanced and it is nuanced and there's not one size fits all. There's the person and then there's also the nature of the role. Right. And then thank you for bringing up the examples of like Charlie Munger, which is which is a great one. And his colleague, Mr. Buffett, like those guys are as active and cognitively there is, is I would hope to be, we are. <laughs> yeah, uh, or, or would hope to be, right. um, but sh you know, there, there's been talk about like, should there be like a cognitive test just to, you know, if I want to renew my license at a certain age, I got to go back and prove I can still drive. That's right. Right. Which is good for everybody. We don't want the, the person hurting themselves and we don't want other people getting hurt along the way. 
should there are there cognitive tests that, that could be deployed that are fair and and would achieve the desired result? Well, yes, there are, and nothing's perfect. But I think we absolutely, to your point, we make decisions all day around whether or not someone can continue to drive, whether or not they can continue to be a pilot for an airline. We make a lot of, we have tests to determine physical dexterity and strain as well as cognitive. And I think it's totally logical. No one should sit on a judge, on, on a bench as a judge trying facts who, if that individual's brain can't move quickly enough to understand what's happening. I mean, a courtroom, and I'm, again, a former lawyer, a lot goes on. You know, you've got inputs from people and defendants and plaintiffs and Mm -hmm. and just a lot going on. So if you aren't able to take all of that in, synthesize it properly and respond accordingly, then you're putting people's lives at risk and their livelihoods. If you're in a criminal court, lives, livelihoods, if you're in a civil court. But the point is, it is absolutely, it should be a requirement that you hit a number. Of course, the debate is what number that will be. I wouldn't, let me tell you, I just want to, you didn't ask this, but I'd be interested. If I said, let's put an age in, put a number in, I wouldn't go toward the higher end. I'd actually start testing people, name it, in the 50s. Because I don't want to make the assumption that a 70-year-old, so if you put it in at 70, a lot of damage can be done by someone between 60 and 70 who sat on the bench and was not on top of their cognitive game. So pick a number that doesn't feel like we're picking on older people and just begin it. And then all of us, the two of me and you both, right? We'd have to start. Baseline it. Just to have a, have a, have a, a good, good baseline from That's which right. to measure deviation from. That's right. As opposed to falling into the trap of saying, well, let's do it for 70-year-olds and older, because that is ageist, right? Right there, there's some ageism built into even that number. So let's not be random. Let's pick something. And then the other thing the sociologist in me says that it then will give us some time to actually track over time how the brain performs over time in different jobs and doing different response. I mean, it could be fascinating research. So my deal is if you want to sit on a Supreme Court, for example, at 80, then prove to me that you can still do the work that we need from a Supreme Court justice. And if you can sit there and it works, why do I need yeah, you, you know, I was thinking about these cognitive tests and, and I think about things like just the correctness of the answer. Can you still pull from your file? Like, I, I know the answer to this. The speed at which you can do that, because some jobs will require, like, you don't have a week to figure this out. Like, you need to be able to know what to do. Think about if you were uh, a 911 operator. Like, I need to know what to do in the moment. Timing matters. And then there's the complexity of it. Well, I can, yeah, I can do simple stuff, but things that are more complex and, and to use your word earlier, more nuanced, like, like that I'm starting to get not quite as quick as I used to be, or not quite as correct as I used to be. As a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, will, will that be something that's actually implementable kind of at large? I think so. I think so. And, uh, now, obviously, they've got to do everything to make sure that we don't run afoul the laws and perhaps they're going to change some laws to be able to do it. But as a practical matter, I think if it's positioned not as a test to move old people out, but that it's intended to prove mm-hmm. that older Americans can work longer. 
So it's more an inclusion. Keep me in. Keep me. I want the exclusion. Keep me in the game. Again, if it's positioned that way, so it's coming from a good place and that we're doing it to protect the broader society from a well-intended person who is not capable of doing the job that they used to, I think it happens. But again, if we have to be very careful how we introduce it, if it is essentially the eliminating older people act, they would never call it that. But if that's the spirit of it, if it's perceived as that, then it will it will fall flat. First of all, as you your numbers declare, most Americans are older now. I mean, we are an aging population. So nothing that comes across that is intended to harm, intentionally harm without a legitimate, truly legitimate reason is going to get past the voting electorate anyway. <laughs> like they're just not going to agree to it. And they'll call their politicians and say, there's no way in the world you do that, you're voted out. So just the delivering of the message and the intent in such a strategy. I love it though. And I think we've got to get there. We, we just, I think about, it, I was telling my daughter the other day, when my grandmother was 63, I love my grandma's boy, both of them. She looked old. She acted old. She mm. dressed old. She, she, you know, I, it was just a, and I loved that about her. Right. But I saw my mother hit 63 and that wasn't my grandma 63. I mean, she dressed, she drove, she worked. My mother was a hospice nurse and worked past 63, like nothing, you know, it was like, mm. okay. So I think we have to accept that 60 anything, 70 anything is very different than it was 20 years ago. No, it's definitely, you know, 60 is the new 40 kind oh, of a thing, right? And, and to your point, I remember my dad, when he got into his 60s, I think he was actually looking forward to being old. Right. He didn't have much expectation, like, hey, I'm, I'm old now. What do you want from me? Right. And, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like not even close. Remember the narrative. Here's something that will date me a little bit. When we thought about older workers coming back into the workforce, and we've been doing this now mm, the last 15 or 20 years, the problem was what we envisioned was them coming back in as Walmart greeters. Yes. Right. That was so we were willing to have them come back, but it wasn't in particularly it definitely wasn't in professional jobs. It wasn't anything demanding. It was the nice old man or old lady who could stand there and sure. you know, work at the Costco line and check your receipt. And what we're saying now is that's not, we're talking high quality work, good jobs, professional yeah. jobs. That's what's been turned on its head. Well, it's interesting, you know, just kind of going back to the original thing. We're talking about people that have a lot of responsibility, that's right. starting with the president of the United States who compressed the proverbial button. Yes. That everything goes crazy. And then, you know, we see like, you know, in the Senate in particular, but, you know, across things where these people have a lot of responsibility and you get elected for, you know, the next six years. Well, a lot can happen in six years. Do you think that let's just start with the president, because that's a singular, singular. Unique, unique job that that there should be some type of a mental competency thing, because we're just seeing that, that it looks to be an issue. <laughs> I'm going to say something that I know Prince shouldn't say, but yes. And frankly, both of them would need to be tested mental competency, but for other reasons. One, <laughs> <laughs> one might be age-related and the other one is like a sanity test. But, but it is a fair point. At we, we, <laughs> I'm joking because 
Yes. And I think there's something to be said for, not something to be said for, I'd be an advocate of us doing that for that job starting at Naaman. 55. Again, it's back to my point. I don't want to. Do- and I think that's a very good point, Johnny, of, of let's don't start with the bias. Right, right. Let's let's start. And then we should do it. And just as we expect the president of the United States to uh, have a physical every day, a physical, physical every year and then come out and, you know, the White House doctor tells us what can, why not include the more than why not? That's not even the right way. We should absolutely include physical and mental, just like what we're doing in the workplace now. We focus forever in the past, and you and I've talked about this, physical well-being, Fitbits, lose weight, stop smoking, et cetera, and we didn't do anything for mental health, right? So now, since we're having the conversation around whole body wellness, mind and body, let's do the same thing. Well, the interesting thing on on the mental part, particularly with cognitive ability, it's actually a physiological It totally is. That's right. right. It's not like they're you get all and you're depressed. That's right. It's no like there's literal physical things happening in your brain. Yes. That you know, just make it different than it was some years ago. Totally. No, and and you know it's funny not to go political, but Nance, it, the, the problem is that the politics get in the way because I don't think any rational person would question a test. Go for the president, members of Senate, because you could say the Senate is a collection. But many of the more senior you are in service and tenure, you then become the head of very powerful committees. So then you become very, very powerful. I mean, the head of the Judiciary Committee decides who's going to go in the U.S. Supreme Court. May not be the president, but my gosh, it doesn't come out until it comes out of committee. Right. So I think we have to be willing to say this is the standard for all roles. We're not going to discriminate for a pilot to a CEO to a C member of Congress, if we just agree that there's a number and then we're going to start testing for that, that'll be that'll go a long way. And yeah. it'll also help us not get into the political game. Like, are you doing this because you don't agree with that person? Yeah, you're picking on this person That's right. because, because you're he's freezing in front of a microphone. So now we're going to test you. So versus, no, it's just what we do. I thought you were going to go. Go ahead, because I, I, I got another one. I thought you were going to go here. Let me just say this. Remember the whole debate over RGB. Mm-hmm. RBG. Right. I got it right. Ginsburg. I was going to go to the Supreme Court. You're, you're beating me to it. <laughs> okay. But remember, I mean, not we, you know, she had a number of physical health problems, cancer, right, that incapacitated her at times. And then she came back and then she stayed on and stayed on and unfortunately lost her life while, while in the role. But think about the implications of that. We, none of us really talked about her mental and cognitive abilities. Taking, let me tell you, as someone who's had family members who've been engaged in some intense chemotherapy regimens, that that affects your mental cognitive capability as well. Well, I was so what I was going to go with the Supreme Court is appointed for life. Yep. Okay. Well, yep. that's good till it's not good, and so so that seems like that would be another. Again, the consequences of their actions are immense. Yes. Right. So this isn't just about fairness and stuff like that. It's like, but the consequences to society are huge. And if somebody isn't at the same level of capacity that they were when they were put in the role, 
that only seems common sense that that should be evaluated periodically. No, hands down. And I, I think, listen, at the end of the day, the idea when the Constitution was written and we were making these rules about the appointments, it was very much around uh, for life and life. The qualifier was quality life. Like if you couldn't do the job, then clearly they could not have contemplated. Yeah. So maybe better written, it would have said, you know, life Perrin provided you can da da da. You had some lawyer rights. Yes. You didn't want to overwrite it, but I think that's where we now have the ability to amend those uh, that language and ensure that we are in a 21st century environment. And we've done it. The laws have changed. You just saw the U.S. Supreme Court redefined uh, affirmative action. So fine, if that's what it says now, why not go in and qualify and make a, a, a literally? I think we should make it a requirement. Physical and mental health must be assessed annually, full stop. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I just agree. And I love what you said earlier about do it early enough that you're not picking on me because of my age. And two, you're not picking on me. We're, we're speaking in the realm of politics right this minute. But you're also not picking on me because of my politics. But you could also see this in like a public company. Oh, yeah. And, you know, where somebody, you know, continues. We, we could look at like uh, the Sumner's. Right. And like, how long are you in a role that's impacting people pretty significantly yes. financially and otherwise? Like just if you're if you're at this certain level, it certainly seems like that would be fair. Then we're not picking on you because of, well, we don't like the strategic direction you're taking the company or something else. It's just no. We, we established this way before, you know, there was a debate over something else. This is just what we do. And, and it seems like it would be a very common sense approach. But as my mother says, there's nothing so uncommon as common sense. So, <laughs> we'll see. Any final thoughts on this one, Johnny, before we wrap up? Yeah, I just, you know, it's a really important point is we've made a lot of progress on the um, on the issue of ageism in the workforce. We yeah. are very intentional about, you know, not harming people because they age, because that's a good thing. I mean, that's a part of the process. And I hope that we will we will allow ourselves not to be drawn into a conversation where we are going to undo some of that progress yes. by because we have some you know older Americans in jobs right now that we are now going to overcorrect and make serious mistakes and lose ground. So I'm just hoping that we'll be thoughtful. There's nothing wrong with factoring in not someone's age but their ability to do. The job exactly, and, exactly. Well, and, and, and I think that I think the other really really important point that you made that I want to underscore, which is with the intent of keeping somebody in their role. Yeah. That's right. And the, the inclusion mentality, not hey, we're looking for a reason to throw you out. That's right. It's like we we honor your service, we respect your expertise. All these things you know are good, and we want them right. as long as you can continue to deliver them. That's right. And, and that's the handshake that we're going to make. No, I'm, I'm excited. Thank you for covering this because it's. I do know that for a long time we've stuck. We, we sort of settled in on what does the law say. I'm making a pitch for maybe it's time to revisit the law. Right? It's been mm -hmm. a long time since we looked at the ADEA and determined if 40 is the right number. And we are already doing it. We're increasing slowly but surely uh, Social Security entitlement age, like we're doing that. It's a recognition, as you said, that this isn't your grandma's, you know, 
person. It's a different way of thinking about how people age. And I'm very excited about it. We just have to adjust to it. Exactly. Exactly. Johnny, as always, I learned a ton. I know our listeners did. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you everyone for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe, like, comment. It all helps. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, please make sure you give it a rating review. But we thank you so much for investing a few minutes on the WorkWire. Johnny, thank you so much. Have a great one, Bob. Take care. Check out career.club for personalized help with your job search. Visit shrm.org to become part of the largest human resources organization worldwide.